You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. One of my favorite things about doing this show, other than, of course, attempting to satiate my ridiculous curiosity, is that we get the chance to sit down with people who've created success in their respective fields and discover the experiences they've had along the way. We get inspired, sometimes relate, but we also have the invaluable opportunity to learn a great deal, and this episode very much delivers on that point. With an archive of everything they've ever done but never actually gone into or looked back at, Jack and Lazaro Perenza School are always looking forward to the things that inspire them today. Getting a bit of a masterclass in this conversation, we hear an earnest report on their beginning, evolutions, feelings about cultural shifts, and their shared perspective on what's contemporary now. This is Lazaro Hernandez. This is Jack McCullough. And we're talking about what's contemporary now. So first off, I'm glad we managed to make this work. I know schedules are quite impossible, especially this time of year. So thank you both for joining us today. Of course. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here. I have to jump off with asking you guys to do me a solid and pronounce the name of the brand correctly, given that people love to debate. <laughs> yeah, people, love, people love to get it wrong. It happens yeah. frequently. <laughs> It's Proenza Schooler, like school. You see, I've always had it right. I never understood the other version. Yeah, but... a lot of people say Schuler. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten some interesting packages delivered to the office over the years with interesting spellings <laughs> of the name. I'm sure. But it's Proenza Schooler. Proenza Schooler for the win. And yes. we like to go back to the beginning of things because while a great deal of industry members obviously are well-versed in your story, there are members of the audience who aren't and would love to hear more. So... Where are each of you from? What does the beginning of Jack and Lazaro look like? Well, this is Lazaro. I was born in Miami, in Florida, and I was sort of like lived there until I was... (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. Florida has a better app these days. (laughs) Um, There was a little bit of a tech glitch, so I didn't actually hear what you said. I wasn't saying, oh no, to Florida, but that would have been funny. (laughs) (laughs) You could say, oh no, to Florida. That's okay. (laughs) These days, right? Yeah, no, I was born in Florida. I was born in Miami and I was there until I was like 18 years old until I came to New York to enroll at Parsons. And what about you, Jack? I was born in Tokyo. I lived there for a number of years, moved to America around kindergarten and to New Jersey. So it's quite the shift from, from <laughs> Japan to good old New Jersey, quite a culture shock. And kind of grew up in my teenage years in Jersey, outside the city. And I've been in New York since, you know, late 90s. Do the pair of you remember that standout moment where you knew that fashion was a thing you wanted to pursue? I mean, it's kind of hard to define that exact moment. For me, I grew up in Miami, Florida, which seems like a lifetime ago. My mom had a beauty salon growing up that I would frequent. I'm an only kid. And I wasn't like the sportiest of kids or whatever. So after school, instead of doing after school sports, I would go hang out with my mom at the beauty salon with the ladies. And I think that's when I first started to be interested in, you know, the world of fashion and beauty and things of that nature. I remember after school being there, being bored. There was magazines all over the place. Back in the magazine heydays, I remember just diving into issues of Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and things like that. And it just seemed like this fantasy world to me. These beautiful images of these beautiful people doing beautiful things. It just felt like a fantasy world that existed in, in magazines and it wasn't like an actual physical thing. And I was always fascinated and enthralled by those images. And it wasn't until like I was a little bit older. I think it was senior year in high school when I came to New York for a summer. And I was out and about and I met a couple of people involved in the actual industry here, like fashion people in New York. And I was like, oh, cool. 
this is actually a real world, something that I could potentially be a part of. And it got me thinking that maybe this is something I would want to do, maybe something I would want to explore. At the time, I was applying to the University of Miami for pre-med, and I did that for actually two years before I made the decision to like, screw that. I'm going to apply to Parsons, just like on a whim, and see if I get in. And if I got in, I was going to move to New York and explore this world. I was just going to dip out and leave everything behind and be a fashion designer. (laughs) And if I didn't, I was going to stay back home and and pursue a career in medicine, which would have been interesting. Luckily, I was accepted and I just left it all behind and came to New York. And I met Jack right when I moved to New York back in like 2000, I think. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I mean, I kind of discovered the fashion world and that whole industry much later, not really till my college years, more when I moved to New York. Think back in my teenage years, I wanted to do something more in the visual arts. I was really into painting, went to boarding school my junior year. It was this great boarding school called Walnut Hill, which was an arts boarding school. So it was like nine to 12 was academics and one to six was all painting and sculpture. Applied to art schools, went to Parsons. At Parsons, your freshman year, you have a foundation year. So no matter what major you end up going into your sophomore year, whether it's architecture or photography or painting or fashion, it's all the same curriculum. It wasn't quite clear on what I was going to major in at that point. And it was throughout that year that I kind of discovered fashion. Lazar and I met our freshman year. We were in a lot of the same classes together. And it was really kind of the first time I was exposed to that world. And I was immediately interested and engaged. Like Lazaro, like the first discovery of fashion was through magazines. New York was filled with them back in those days. And so my discovery of that world just evolved over the course of that foundation year at Parsons. And towards the end of the year, I realized there was something I wanted to get into. And I think in a lot of ways, it's so related to the stuff I was already interested in. It's color and line and composition and silhouette, proportion. So a lot of the things I've been interested before, I really applied towards that and what I do still today. You guys met that early on in both of your trajectories when it comes to fashion. At what point did you decide that it was a great idea to build a brand together? (laughs) It wasn't so premeditated, to be honest. It was interesting because as we were hanging out a lot throughout the school years, we started going out a lot together. We sort of amassed the same group of friends and like our aesthetics started to kind of meet in the middle. We started being interested in the same things and the same designers and the same references. And little by little, like our schoolwork at the time started looking very like each other. We were sort of at one point started to compete against each other. We had the same basic projects going into these crits, which was interesting. Yeah, I feel like we had a lot of work that you had to do from home. Every week you had to design a collection and we'd probably pull like a couple all-nighters every single week, kind of wrapping these collections up. But because we had to pull these all-nighters instead of doing them alone, Oftentimes I'd go to Lazarus' house or he'd come over to mine and we just do it together so we weren't riding solo. And I think because we were together all the time and working on our individual projects, we'd kind of subtly riff off one another subconsciously to the point where our work really started blending and looking quite similar, I think. And so then senior year came about and we had to do like a senior thesis, like a big collection for the end of the year. And we sort of had a similar starting point for the collection. We're like, oh, well, we're just going to fight each other. We're so competitive. We still are. We're just going to like duel to the end here. 
And we're like, you know what? Just to save this relationship and not get in a huge fight, let's collaborate. Let's officially collaborate on one collection. Let's just not compete against each other. And we asked the dean of students at the time, the head of the department, if we could do a collaboration for the senior year collection. And they had never allowed that to happen. No one had ever asked to do that. And he was pretty cool. It was actually Tim Gunn, which is so random, but he was like, he was straight up the dean of the fashion department. He was an academic at the time. And Tim was really cool with us. And he's like, yeah, totally. You guys can do that. And so we did. And it, it saved our relationship. We didn't have to fight with each other. And we had just created like this new one, problem. <laughs> it created new problems. <laughs> and it was just this huge collection relative to every other student. And at the end of the year, there's a big competition and we were awarded designer of the year as a duo, which is interesting. And then we had this project that was a, a collaborative project. So then everyone had to like shop that project around to land a job. And I remember going to Narcissa Rodriguez and a couple of interviews as a duo, which is so weird. <laughs> and they were like, so what, you guys come as a team? We're like, yeah. And like, is it one salary, two salaries? We're like, yeah, no, it's two salaries. They're like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, I remember it was very confused. <laughs> I actually remember leaving that interview and that was kind of that moment where it's like, what are we doing? What are we thinking? And should we start something? But that felt so foreign to us, felt very risky, felt very scary. But around the same time, we got a- We had no money to start either. It was like yeah, just like- Yeah, we had no funding to start a whole business. But around that same time, Peter Arnold, I guess he was the president of the CFDA at the time. He called us into his office. We kind of had some conversations and he connected us with Julie Gilhart, who was kind of running Barney's at the time. And he's like, I think you guys should really meet Julie. I think she'd really like what you do. Why don't you get together and have a conversation? So we had a conversation with her, showed her images of our work. She's like, this is really interesting. Why don't you bring the collection up to my team and show us the collection and we, we can take a closer look at it. We can give you guys some input and talk what you're thinking. So we went up there with one of our friends who was kind of modely <laughs> and like lugged the whole collection into a car service, threw it up on rolling racks and presented it to her team not really knowing what would come of it. And shortly after we left that meeting, they sent through an order. They placed an order on that senior thesis collection. And that's really what got the whole thing started. We were still in school at the time. We hadn't graduated yet. And all of a sudden we have an order from Barney's and we're like, what, how does this work? Cause you know, Michael Kors, I was interning with Michael. Jack was with Mark Jacobs. Mark gave us a few factories and Michael gave us some fabrics. So we had, you know, this sort of sample collection, but then we had to figure out how to produce it. And it was cool because it was the summer right as we were graduating, all our friends, no one had jobs. So it was like this super exciting scene and vibe that kind of formed around us and our friends. And everyone would come over to our house at night and we'd cut patterns. And so like we sewed the entire production sort of ourselves with friends and cutting it. And then we had a friend who worked at Helmet Lang in the PR department. She went to NYU as like a religion major. And we're like, oh, hey, she was kind of businessy, <laughs> I mean, compared to us. And we're like, hey, Shirley, yeah, we have this order from Barney's. I think we want to do this. Can you help us like figure out how to like pay factories and order fabrics? And Barney's gave us this big handbook on how to deliver clothes and the ticketing, the tags, all of that crap. And so she helped us figure it out. And Pro Enza Schooler was born from literally our bedroom. 
the three of us. But I mean, we th- we had two days to come up with a name. I remember we were like, I think in your bedroom last we were brainstorming ideas. Yeah. And at one point I'm like, what's your mother's maiden name? Like Prenza, you're like, what's yours? I'm like, schooler. Like, what about Prenza schooler? Can't really pinpoint what that brand is. It sounds kind of international. And yeah. we just kind of went for it. <laughs> we didn't want to put our names on it because our names were yeah, like, we're, I think we we're scared to put our names to it, not knowing what would happen and the potential for it failing and having our names attached to it. So we wanted something less attached to us in some ways, but sort of obscure. Still personal. Yeah. yeah. Obscure. Well, having that type of a start in an industry is anything but common. So how would you say something like that early support from an institution like Barney's really shaped the trajectory you guys set upon? And we're just super fortunate to have Barney's be our first account. And then I think when we started that whole moment, Vogue got a hold of us. And then I had a weird relationship with Anna Wintour from the past where I went up to her on a plane. <laughs> There's this whole student backstory of with Anna and us. I basically went up to her on a plane once and asked her for an internship when I was in school and she kind of did that and helped me. And so I had this pre-existing relationship with her vaguely. And so Vogue was like, oh, those are the kids that we gave an internship to back in the day. And all the pieces sort of like fit. So all of a sudden we had Vogue supporting us and we had Barney's as our first sort of store. So we started on that kind of level. And after that, Colette and Paris is her second account. And then, you know, it's just been like a slow build every single season from those days, just completely independently. Having entered the marketplace that you did and obviously having the sustained success that you guys have had as a brand, how would you describe the differences between the marketplace that new designers are coming up in today and the one that you guys entered? I mean, I think there's a lot more noise these days when we started there was a lot less designers. I remember we'd go on like style.com and you'd look at the collections for the season and it'd be a list of 50, 60 people. Now you go on vote.com and it's an endless list. And so there's a lot more people out there saying a lot of different things. And I think to start a new brand today, I mean, to have a brand and maintain a brand, you have to have this as well. But to start a new brand today, you really have to have a clear, concise kind of message that's not stepping on anyone else's toes. There's a lot of things out there and you've got to figure out your own path and figure out how that's different from everyone else's path. I also think the way you frame that question is so telling of how things have changed. Like to call it a marketplace (laughs) is very much a now thing. When we started, it wasn't really a marketplace. It was like a scene. It was just our friends and us making clothes for our friends to wear. It wasn't such a business intent for many years. It was very much this sort of artistic expression. Like all our friends were artists. We're having shows at galleries and we're having shows at runway shows. And we sold enough clothes to keep going to do a next show. It wasn't so much about a market and growing a business and all that stuff. Fashion has become a real business these days with these like huge companies. And it's just a real business. And back in the day, the industry felt more like an indie scene. It was really niche, it was small, it was very arty, and you weren't making huge amounts of money or huge amounts of clothes. I don't know, it was like an indie scene. It was just a different world. You know, it was cool, it was interesting, and as that happens with most things, it just became more popular, more people were interested, 
money started to get involved in the whole thing. Designers were being bought out by these companies and it just became a different world altogether. You know, I think fashion is very much a business right now. And that's been like a, yeah, that's been a change in the last 20 years for sure. It also moved at such a different pace back then. Things are so sped up these days. There's so much noise. You know, we didn't have to do pre-collections for the first 10 years of our career. We'd put out two shows a year and that was pretty much the end of it. There was no social media. There was very little online content. It's just a completely different world from when we started. And the clothes that we put on the runway were clothes that we kind of, it was more like an artistic expression. Like, what do we want to say? What do we think was cool? What was technically felt new to do? It was more like pushing ourselves creatively. We didn't think about price points or there was no merchandising strategy. It was very much just like whatever, whatever we wanted to put on the runway is what we did. And these days it's much more methodical and thought through in a business level on prices and margins and all that kind of boring stuff that is <laughs> very part of the game right now. So to all of the points you're making as far as what those changes have been made up of, how have they affected your creative process? It definitely sounds like the commerce has bled into the category of art, but clearly you're still remaining creative. You know, all of these collections continuing to come out and be successful as they are. So how are you navigating these new demands or influences differently? I mean, we've got like a business hat that we wear and then we've got the creative hat and it's That's trying it. to merge those two things, but not let one take over the other. Just really finding that balance. I mean, our approach has changed in a lot of ways over the years, but in, in many ways, our creative process is quite similar to when we first started. I think last season, the last collection we put out was definitely a new approach for us. It was incredibly rooted in wearability. We wanted to take away all the fuss, but art's still always a very big influence for us always important for us to look outside of our world, look outside the fashion world and pull ideas in from other worlds outside of that. Yeah, I think our intent has changed a bit over the years. For a long time, I think for the first like 10 years or not more, it was very much about pushing ourselves on a technical level. Like, what can we do? What could we create? What has never been done before? What's going to blow people's mind? What are people going to want to shoot in magazines? Like our focus was on the editorial aspect. It was about the buzz and about magazines. And oh my God, Grace Connington is shooting us for the collecting story with all the European houses. It was more of this like editorial approach. I think it was, I think also, it was also very much about reinventing ourselves season from season. Kind yeah. of never, these people never knowing really what to expect. Totally switching it up from one season to the next. Being more of a surprise. I think now it's more about figuring out a way to create a continuity, have it telling the same story in different ways, speaking to the same woman always. I think that approach has definitely shifted in recent years. The culture is changing so quickly, like you said, the demands have evolved. And something that I find uniquely fascinating about your success is that despite its longevity and commercial accolades as a brand over the years and how you've evolved it while sustaining that common thread as far as the identity of the house. You do maintain that sort of indie identity. People always look forward to seeing, you know, Proenza School or at New York Fashion Week because it's a standout show amongst some more sort of heritage or albeit commercial brands. And you yeah. guys, who's going to walk the show? What is the collection going to look like? It still has the halo of indie culture, and yet you've sustained that success over time. So 
how do you cultivate and maintain that sweet spot of keeping your kind of indie cool while sustaining a successful business as long as you have? That's such a hard question. Like it's not, it's not like, I don't think it's premeditated in any way for us. I think it's based on curiosity. We're just very curious people. And we're also like our worst critics. I think to Jack's point previously about switching it up season to season, I think, yeah, we're our worst critics and we always hate what we just put out there. Like we can't look at it. We can't look back ever. We never, we actually never do. We have an archive of, of every collection we've ever done. We've never been to it once. We usually kind of like put it in the graveyard and move on. And every season we start with a clean piece of paper and we're like, okay, what can we do better? What were the failures of last season and how can we push forward? And I don't know, it's like this drive that we have somehow of just wanting to do better, be better and whatever better means to us at that moment. I think that's what's kept us every single season trying something new. Sometimes it fails, sometimes it doesn't fail. We feel very free to experiment and and I think it's just season after season over all these years, it's created some kind of a consistency, I guess. But for us, it feels very inconsistent. <laughs> it's like it changes every season, whether it be the approach or whatever it is. We're just always trying to tinker with the process and making it better and better. And over yeah, time, I mean, that's created a body of work, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes the speed of this industry drives us completely mad. But I think one of the beauties around it is that you've got this opportunity every six months to either reinvent and make up for something that you feel like you didn't do such a great job at the season before or elaborate on something that you feel like was really successful the season before. But you've always got this opportunity every six months to bring something new to the equation and start over in a lot of ways. So that's that's such a blessing, but it's also such a curse. We have friends that are filmmakers at do a movie for two or three years. They put all their heart into it. And then the movie's a failure or flop. And that sucks. That's three years of their lives, four years of their lives. And maybe they're not given another opportunity to make another film. The stakes are so high. Or they've got to wait another three or four years before they can do it again. Yeah, to prove themselves, even if they get the opportunity even, you know? So fashion is great that in every six months you can switch it up, say something new. Like if you fall on your face one season, you have the next six months to figure <laughs> it out. You know, that's also what sucks about it. You're always like on your feet and running, but you know, it's a love-hate yeah, relationship, I guess, with that. Yeah, but there's always a chance to kind of rework and reinvent. Yeah, well, if you look at brands in general, there's always a creative face to each of them. And in the case of a pro and a schooler, it's the pair of you. How do you think going through everything you guys are explaining as a duo um, has been beneficial or made easier? And also what are some of the added challenges that come into play when there are two people <laughs> making those key decisions? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think emotionally speaking, it's like incredible in that when one of us is kind of like, you know, exhausted or like feeling down or questioning things, we have the other one to kind of pull us back up and reinvigorate and re-inspire and keep the energy alive. So we really help each other out. In that regard, creatively speaking, I mean, we're just always pushing each other. Like Lazar said, in some ways we can get a little competitive with one another, but I think that pushes us to do better and be better. Um, I don't know. Our creative process is kind of hard to talk about. It's so abstract. I think in the early days when we do two shows a year and that's it, we were way more on top of each other creatively and on a process level. We'd like sort of just trip each other up a little bit. 
And I think as the business has scaled and as the world has become more sort of multidimensional, there's so many things to do now, whether it's like marketing or merchandising meetings or handbags or shoes or mainline pre-collections, white label. We have, I think, 20 collections a year right now. And so on top of all the other press and marketing and all the other stuff going on, PR and HR stuff, we just divide and conquer now. There's days where we don't even see each other. And that's amazing. He'll be doing like a handbag meeting. I'll be doing a shoe meeting. Like he'll be in a pre-collection meeting. I'll be in that meeting. We divide and conquer now. So we're not really in each other's faces all that much, which is kind of great. It's been very, I think, freeing to know that someone that you trust wholeheartedly is taking care of half of the stuff. Yeah, we just divide and conquer now. And that's been the key to our more recent success, I guess. For sure. And I think also the beauty of that is that we spend so much time together and we've got a very similar aesthetic and we've got a sh kind of shorthand. So we can always trust when we split up that we're guiding things in a very similar way, because ultimately we've got the same vision when it comes to the bigger picture. Someone once described the brand as a modern luxury label, which has a youthful take on upscale dressing. And I wanted to find out A, if that resonated with the pair of you and B, if it still rings true. I don't know what that kind of stuff means. <laughs> <laughs> a youthful take on upscale dressing, um, I guess. I, I think we make a luxury product. And we're youthful, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, our tagline that we reiterate is we make luxury fashion for the intelligent adult urban woman. And that's what we do. It's as simple as that. We've always dressed our peers, like our friends, uh, the women around us. And I think there was a time in our 20s when we were all going out and partying and we were like kind of wild in New York and we were making clothes for like that kind of person. I think as we've all grown up and we're all more settled and have careers and we're way more sort of adult now, I think the clothes and the brand has shifted into that direction. So I would say now we're like an adult kind of brand. We're not making clothes for like the kids anymore, which is very much our peer. We talked about the evolution of the business in terms of the things you guys newly have to consider yourself with or how fashion as a whole works, but culture itself is such a huge informer of people's creative process generally when it comes to something like clothing. So what do you guys find the most interesting or fascinating that's sort of emerging from the culture today in terms of things that are informing the work now or upcoming collections? Chad, can I answer that? <laughs> Do you want to answer? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's really interesting. That's the question that we ask ourselves every single season. Like mm -hmm. what, what feels relevant today? What feels pertinent for the moment? For us, it's very personal. There's so many different competing topics of the day and so many different things going on, different people reacting to different subjects in different ways. I think we're like laser focused right now in this archetype of, of where a woman is. And I think last season was very much about that defining who she is. Like last season we started with no clothing references and we just had headshots of women on our boards, like of all the women in our lives that have inspired us over the years and who they are. And it's almost like we're building a movie where there's this archetype of a woman and we wanted to create a wardrobe for her life. 
Like, what is she wearing from morning to night? And like, what are the different facets of this woman's life? And what does she look like in these moments? What is she wearing? So for us, we're very much trying to define her in quotation marks, like who she is. And to us, in many ways, she's a sort of female counterpart to us as individuals. Like if we were a woman today, what would we want? What do we think we'd want to dress like and look like? And what are we interested in? So I don't know, that sounds kind of vague, but that's kind of our approach. It's like this yeah, character I think, study. I think in the past, a lot of our collections were very rigid and more of an inspiration. And lately, we're definitely talking more about the woman, who she is, what's the world around her, and also just responding to what that current mood in the air is, whether that be culturally, artistically, just the world around us. We're trying to tap into that and try and figure out what this woman's place is in that world. While you're a global brand, you're also a New York brand and have spent the majority of your career showing here. So what pillars, if any at all, come from sort of a New York influence? I think New York is very much about individuality, mm -hmm. kind of practicality above all. I think people are on their feet here. People are moving. You know, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. There's like this New York energy. People are like running around. There's a practicality that I think is very, you know, broader than just New York. There's like an Americanness to that, all the way back to like jeans and denim and stuff like that. But I think New York, there's a practicality and there's also a celebration of individuality. It is such a melting pot. There's so many different kinds of people and vibes. I think the mix of that is really interesting and very New York. Is that homogenous in any way? So I think individuality, like diversity of kinds of people living in one place and a practicality. I think that sort of like sums up New York to us. And collaborations are also no stranger to the brand. Is that something you guys plan to continue doing? And if so, are there any that you can talk about already? Yeah. I mean, we've got some things in the works that we can't really talk about yet. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we haven't done a ton of it was collaboration. Worth <laughs> we haven't done tons of collaborations. I mean, we like to do it when it feels really organic and we've got a personal relationship with that person or it happens through friends. We did stuff with these against skin in the past and Matthew Barney, this artist, Hem Steinbach, that we're big fans of. And on a more product level, we did that collaboration with Birkenstock during COVID, which is personal to us. We've been wearing Birkenstocks like our entire adult life. <laughs> when we collaborate with people, it's going to feel like there's a personal connection. It can't just be like a business move. We've got to really feel it. And I think people see that when you actually feel it. And it's a little less obvious in that way. And it's an obvious question that we have to include in every single conversation and typically the one that we close with. What do the pair of you think is contemporary now? My God, that's, <laughs> that's such a hard one. That sort of defines our entire work. <laughs> this like, is what feels contemporary now. <sighs> I guess for us as, as designers and creative people, for us, it's a personal. There's so many competing ideas and narratives and interests right now. And I think for us, it's very much about putting our blinders on and 
finding what it is that makes us us and what makes us individuals. So for us, it's less about looking around and seeing what everyone else is doing and trying to like riff on other people. It's like being kind of I want selfish is the right word, but like just being kind of narrow and like what you do and what you stand for and emphasizing that. I think just this idea of individuality, standing for the thing that it is you stand for and just doing that and being proud of who you are, I think it's just a fellow rift of individuality. I think that feels really relevant for today. And I think everyone's individuality is valid, which is, I think, interesting. There's not just one voice that's like, oh, this is the valid thing to do. I think everyone's voices are valid. And I think people that are doing cool stuff do their own thing and stand by that and are cool with everyone else's thing, but they have their own thing. I don't know if that sounds vague, but... Yeah, I was going to kind of say the same thing. I feel like back in the day when we started and through a lot of periods, especially in fashion, there's been like kind of one message in a lot of ways that multiple people were tapping into. And I think these days there's just so many different ways of thinking about things and there's people of so many different kinds of interests and there's not one thing that kind of brings that all together. And I really think it's just about sticking true to your own vision and not really not being a follower and really following what your heart is telling you and sticking to your core idea. I think for a creative, because everything is valid and everything's okay, it could get confusing if you start tapping into too many sort of like vibes and this, if you're this and you're that, but you're also this and you're also that. Everything is valid, but you have to sort of pick your lane and do that thing. Because if you try to do it all, then then who are you? Like you don't stand for anything. So it's an interesting mix of everything is cool, but you got to like carve your own little thing and just do that thing and be cool with everything else happening. But you got to stand for a very specific sort of idea. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of no, for sure. how we think and about it's, it. And it's tricky for us because we're interested in so many different things. And we're interested in so many different aesthetics and the ways to create things. But ultimately, I think where you find success these days is through repetition and consistency, not letting yourself get off track and really honing in on what you're about and really staying true to that and just evolving on that message. And being enough, being enough of something. Exactly. Exactly. I think back in the day, I think our broad interests sometimes got the better of us. We'd go on some trip to the Himalayas and then come back and be like a Himalayan collection. And then we'd go to Hawaii and do Hawaii. Yeah, like our interests inspired us creatively, but to a point where like maybe the output felt a little too all over the place. And I think that's been a more recent sort of shift, creatively speaking. We sort of put on the blinders a little bit more and are trying hard to just define our lane and own it. And we could think other things are interesting or cool. That's not our lane. That's not our vibe. Like, let's stick to like what we do and just be the best at that thing. Yeah, that's super interesting for us right now, creatively, and something we're working towards. Well, it's certainly proven to be an effective strategy given the success that you've achieved together as a duo. So congratulations and thank you again for taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you, guys. That was fun. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great to talk with you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. A special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, who makes it all possible. Original theme music by Joseph Top Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft. And visual design by Aaron Marr and Graham Prentice. Subscribe now to be the first to hear new episodes. And for more content, follow us on Instagram at What's Contemporary or visit us online at whatscontemporary.com. 